This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Thank you, Stuart, and nice to meet you. I had not met you before, but uh, you seem very professional. Oh, thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, folks, and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly. But right now, if you have questions, concerns, or comments about what this heat's doing to your landscape, uh, 314-436-7900-1800-925-1120. It is Saturday morning. We get together and have a roundtable discussion about what's impacting your backyard. How about that front yard? Oh, it's facing west. Yeah. No trees, no shade. How about the side landscape, especially garden space, a taste of the tropics? Your house plants, how are they doing? Uh, what is a potting mix versus a potting soil? How do you improve your soil, and should you be doing it in this heat? How about bugs? Are they out there? You better be careful. They may be doing some damage. And hopefully the information I share with you will help you orchestrate the best and solidify your options with the final judgment of any action taken is going to be on your shoulders. By the way, this is your show, and I certainly appreciate you inviting me into your home car, wherever you happen to be listening. Another very important player is James. He's over there. He's producing back for uh, a short period of time, I guess. And uh, he produces, meaning he answers the phone. He just needs your first name. Not what you're calling about or anything else. So first name, that's pretty much it. I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. That was in the last century. Oh, my goodness. I can come to your home doing landscape consultations, which I call a walk and talk. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. And on the homepage, there's my email address and phone number where I can be reached. Well, let's get going on this stroll. It's brought to you by St. Louis Composting. Oh, the sun was so bright. I stepped out of our home, air conditioned, of course, and just like, whoa, bright sun and, wow, pretty warm feeling. I drove not too far away from our house. There's massive trees. There's the Mississippi River Valley. Wow, I was surprised at some of the, how low the water is even on the Mississippi. There's a crazy wild entanglement of all kinds of different kinds of plants Everything from wild grapes to mimosa trees, which is in bloom right now. There's a wrought iron fence, which is on the uh, east side of this particular building, and it provides a vista point to the east. And it's really kind of, this building is really kind of neat. It has arched architecture, structural qualities, and things like that. 
on the west side, it's a, basically spiced with marigolds, dianthus, and a little bit more. There's a poster there that lists all the Carondelet concerts in various parks. There's three different parks that have, you know, concerts. And there's a walkway that leads south past the milkweed for monarchs uh, planting with an informational sign. There's an informational sign, too, a pretty old historic one. It's out of metal, and uh, it tells the history of Carondelet, which started in 1767. This area is now called Bell Reef Park. It has a playground. It has ginkgo trees. It has benches. It has oak trees. It has elms and river birches, all kinds of birds and squirrels and everything else. And uh, early in the morning, there's still a few, you know, there's some people out because of, I'm assuming, the heat, but maybe they just get up early anyway. The lawn is a nice mixture of green. (laughs) I'm not saying it's grass, but anyway, it's green. And uh, the high point of this warm, humid morning was this was just a delightful area for all comers. There was a pair of walkers as I was just getting ready to leave that I said hello to. And uh, it looked like they were kind of, this is part of their routine. But anyway, it was just a nice morning to be in the outdoors in Bell Reef Park, which is where Broadway and Bates kind of run into each other. And it's really a really nice historic area. It's kind of wild and crazy. So uh, if you'd like to just sit in a bench and watch who knows what, (laughs) Uh, bird-wise, squirrel-wise, or just be quiet and just kind of listen. Anyway, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. Connect with KMOX on air, online, 1120 AM, 98.7 FM, KMOX.com. James pushes this button to let me know to go on air, and it's red-lighted. I couldn't see it, so I had to maneuver some stuff around on this table that I'm broadcasting from. But anyway, let's start off with Scott. Scott, how are you today? Good, Mike. How are you? Very good. So I was wondering, we have a friend of ours who has some large hostas, and I was wondering, is now a good time to split those and move them, or should we wait? Yeah, you should wait. It's uh, a little bit premature. You could do it, but it's not to the advantage of the plant material. And uh, probably any time after mid to late August through the entire month of September would be the better time. Okay. So when it starts getting cooler, I guess? Yeah, well, bit. not only that, it's, you don't want to be out there working yourself, but it's just, you know, that's a better time. The ground is warm still, and that will trigger some root system growth from the, you know, the transplants and everything else or the divisions. And it's just a uh, you know, more opportune time to do it. You can do it now. It's just not to the advantage of the plant material. It's not going to make them any better. Any better. It's going to possibly cause some, you know, some grief because we don't know what our weather is going to be. And even if you're doing additional watering, the plants that have been transplanted or divided, you know, the root system has uh, been damaged. So just wait until things are a little bit calmer. Okay. Same with... Uh... Aerating and seeding for your lawn? Uh, if you're talking cool season lawn, definitely don't do that this time of year. So, okay. But 
you know, you you could really create some real problems for bluegrass or for fescues to core aerate this time of year. And uh, so wait on that till you know, basically the same time frame. And even a little bit later, you can do it. You can do it from, let's say, late August all the way through kind of Halloween. Okay. Great. Thanks so much for the info. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's go over to Dave's yard. Hi, Dave. Hey, good morning, Mike. Um, I've been, I've had blackberries for quite a few years and this year I noticed little bagworms and sometimes they're on the leaf and sometimes they're on the fruit itself and they're, they don't look like a bagworm that I've seen on shrubs. They, they're quite a bit smaller and I was wondering if you've ever encountered that and are they lost or can I expect them back next year? I, you know, to be honest with you, I don't, don't know the exact insect you're speaking of. But are they okay. causing any kind of damage? Not really. Not, yeah. And I've only found seven or eight. Okay. And, and they're a small variety, and I I didn't, you know, they look like, but they're they're definitely a bagworm or a subtype. Okay. But I've I've had blackberries as long as I remember. I've never seen them before. So what are you doing? Are you just picking them off? Or I'm just you... I'm just hand picking them. I've only found a few, but I was wondering if you've ever encountered that. I, I really don't want to spray anything. I know, I know you got to hand pick them, but. I was wondering if I can expect them back next year, or are they just, uh, have you ever seen it? No, I really haven't, not on blackberries. That's uh, something okay. too, totally new to me. So, you know, sometime okay. in the next few days, I'll take a look and see what they possibly could be, because I don't, you know, that's a new okay. one completely. Yeah, and I've I've had blackberries as long as I remember. I've never seen them. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, shows you. you, yeah, shows you the the world is changing so. <laughs> it's it's very diverse. Yes. <laughs> All right. Great. Thank you for your program. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's head over to Keith's yard. Hi, Keith. Hi, Mike. Hey, uh, I kept the tag to a rose that uh, my wife got a couple years ago, uh, Mother's Day. It's a uh, David Austin rose, and it's a Princess Anne. And in the description, it says long flowering season. Well, we got one flush early on, and it hasn't. It now it's starting to push new leaves out right now, but I don't see any buds. We fertilized it when it was blooming. Uh, the leaves have got a lot of small holes in it. It uh, only gets about uh, four to six hours of direct sunlight. Um, should I just hang in there and see if it flowers again? Am I doing something wrong? Uh, what about transplanting it? I would say the David Austin roses, just in general, don't like it here all that well. You know, they're just a hybrid, and they seem to not— if you would go to, let's say, the Botanical Garden, you're not going to see too many David Austin roses there growing in either one of the you know rose gardens. And it's just because they, you know— they're more towards a southern, you know, exposure. And then the situation with you, with just that amount of sun, that's going to be impactful. And as far as I'm assuming you're fertilizing with rose food, and uh, so it's just, uh, you know, it's just not the ideal circumstance. And I, you can, you know, keep it because of historic, you know, value that your wife has for it. But uh, I wouldn't expect a whole lot out of it, even if you transplant it to a f- fully sunny location. It probably should do better than it's going to do where you have it right now. But consequently, it's still going to be problematic. And as far as the holes on the leaves, 
The roses just in general, you know, they're really somewhat problematic. Hopefully it's not Japanese beetles, but, uh, you know, who knows? Oh, I've got lots of, I had lots of Japanese beetles. They seem to have finally ran their cycle this year. Um, <laughs> well, no, I mean, I got two, two uh, traps up. Oh, and really? They were just, yeah, and they were just uh, still infesting my green beans. So I just kept spraying them with malathion, and they're not there anymore. So I guess, I don't know, they're done in my yard for the season, hopefully. Um, <laughs> well, just keep an eye out. I uh, Yeah, I will. Uh, I've learned how to grow potatoes in buckets. Whoa. Now, the only thing, well, I learned it from a YouTube site, and uh, the, I got like six or eight buckets. The first ones that I harvested, they had like a colander full of potatoes, a couple of large ones, some small ones. Uh, but the rest of them, as soon as they seem like, as soon as the bloom pops out, um, it disappears. It almost looks like only the bloom has been eaten. And the other two that I have harvested so far, they either had no potatoes or one or two potatoes. Could it have anything to do with the, uh, the bloom being eaten or whatever the heck is happening to it? Well, the bloom really doesn't do anything in relationship to the potato. The potato is part of the root system. So a flower is just sort of like, uh, let's say, an embellishment more so than anything else. But uh, anyway, so I would say maybe just trying to grow them, even though you saw somebody doing it and blah, 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 on YouTube or wherever it was that you saw Success is going to be somewhat limited. Hmm. Okay. Well, I was just I was just wondering why the very first one that I harvested they had a lot of potatoes, and I had a lot of hopes, and then <laughs> all of a sudden they got crushed. So. And it, I mean, it could be related to the weather. It could be related to several different factors. And you know, I don't know what's what type of seed potato did you plant? Well, I plant both Yukon and red. Okay. So probably Yukon is going to have a little bit tougher time here. The red should be okay. That should be your better one. So was the one that you got the the good production, was that a red or was that a Yukon? Uh, that was a Yukon, the oh, first really? one. All right. And then the other the other three Yukon didn't do well. I haven't harvested a red one yet. Okay. Because they, they were planted about a month and a half, two months later. So that may mean the Yukons are earlier producers and then as the season goes on, if it gets too warm, or and particularly the soil is going to be very warm in a bucket circumstance or any kind of container, yeah. that could have an impact on the, you know, the sort of the tubers forming on the root system. All right. Well, thank you so much, sir. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's head over to John's yard. Hi, John. Mike. Hi. You there? Yes. Hey, so uh, I'm, I'm sure you've answered this question a hundred times, but um, I've got several bare spots in my lawn um, that I'm trying to grow some grass in. And I know that like September is the best time, but some of the areas are out front and I didn't want to wait that long. So um, two or three areas I'm, I'm having reasonable success. And what I did in all areas was uh, uh, raked up the ground, the soil to loosen it up a little bit. And then I put my seed down and water it twice a day, about 30 minutes um, before I go to work and 30 minutes when I get home. But this, there's a stubborn area, and I've done this I've done this twice over the course of the past month, 
especially I didn't first first time around I didn't have any luck and I don't think I watered it enough. But out front, um, I've got hardly any any new growth coming in. But this area is um, a little bit sloped uh, down to the culvert in front and near the street. Probably slopes down about four feet at about a thirty degree angle, and it probably gets sun. I'll say about three-fourths of the day, like it's still shady right now, but within the next hour or two, it'll be sunny probably, you know, till late afternoon. So, oh, and I did also, first round, I just loosened up the soil. Second round, I loosened it up, and I put down some, I uh, bought a bag of topsoil to put down over it. Still poor results. So, any ideas to improve my results? Uh, you know, doing seed this time of year, I'm assuming you're talking bluegrass or a fescue-type seed. Is not the yep. best thing to be doing. I know you're doing it because of you know the aesthetic value, but uh, it, you're just going to be struggling and struggling and struggling. There's no getting around it. So, you know what's going on in this particular location? Is it along of you know the sidewalk? Is it along a driveway? Is it close? You know, let's say within twenty or twenty-five feet of a larger mature shade tree circumstance. Is there you know there's all kinds of factors that can influence you know, the ability of the grass seed to not only just germinate, but it could germinate and just, you know, sort of like, you know, collapse due to exhaustion because it's not the ideal time to be doing it. So so you're saying uh, I'd be best just to wait until September to... Right. To Okay. All right. Good enough. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, and if you've got these patches that... uh, that has been, you know, let's say problematic from an aesthetic standpoint, browning and everything else for a long period of time, maybe consider getting a couple pieces of sod versus trying to do it with seed. Yeah, okay. I might do that. All right, thank you. Sure, good luck. And, uh, yeah, I mean, lawns here is just extremely difficult. There's no getting around it. So the zoises look uh, aesthetically in the wintertime, that tan color, you go, ooh, but, you know, that's just part of this, you know, the situation. And then the cool season, uh, you know, lawns of bluegrasses and fescues, in the summertime they don't turn brown like the zoysia does in the wintertime, but they still, they don't like the heat of the summertime, and they're just not, they don't perform well. And then in our, in our situation, too, with uh, fungus problems and all kinds of things like that, and there's all sorts of other things that can impact you know, the production of the lawn, even if you're not really, let's say, close to trees, the tree feeder roots go beyond the drip line of the trees, so the extension of the branches, and that has an impact on the ability to, of, you know, lawn to be successful. So our weather is bad. We're at that transition zone where north meets south, and it's just, it's a tough time. Some Certain years, it's going to be better for one versus the other. And it's just a, a roll, say a roll of the dice. Let's head over to Jim's yard. Hi, Jim. Hey, Mike. Uh, hey, I have some a, a lot of vinca ground cover that I've planted many, many years ago, and I'd like to transplant some of it. Um, is it better to uh, do that to you know towards the end of the year, like when it's a little cooler, or would it be better to wait until the spring? Now, probably better to do it in, let's say, September, October, that, you know, that time frame, because it will help the root system get established. Now, are you wanting to do this because you have an abundance of it, or you just don't want to buy, let's say, a couple flats, you know, at a nursery? And I'm not just saying that to produce or 
promote, let's say, nurseries and things like that. But that might be a little bit easier to use something that you've, you know, that have been, let's say, done by professional growers as opposed to just digging up a, a clump and trying to move the clump and having good success with it. I got you. Yeah, I, I have a large abundance of it, and uh, I just thought, you know, it would be um, uh, easy just to dig a big clump out and plant uh, in a different spot. But just, I mean, uh, realize that that spot that you're digging this out of, it's going to take it quite a while before it's going to, you know, let's say infill, cover up, you know, with growth that's, you know, from the vinca. I'm assuming, the, is this the variegated one or is this just a green-leafed one? Just the green. Okay, so with the blue flowers? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, it's a great ground cover. There's no getting around it. I mean, the evergreen quality and everything else. So just realize that... Uh, it could take it a, a while to recover, and the spot that you dig it out, you're going to have to fill that in, and I'd probably do a, a compost topsoil blend to infill that hole where you've dug it, you know, dug it out, even if it's only an inch or two deep. Okay, and, and you still think it would be okay, like, uh, in August, September, that it would root enough that it would do okay over the winter? Yeah, that's because the ground is warm, and that's, I mean, that's the ideal thing to trigger, you know, root system growth. And then the plants, even though they're evergreen, they're still going to go to sleep for the wintertime. That's why fall is by far the best time to do any kind of planting, transplanting, or anything else. Where spring, we're coming out of wintertime, the ground is still, I mean, the ground is cold, the root system is not, the growth is not triggered, and then the worst probably season for a lot of plants is summertime. So it's going through all this transition, and then it faces our summer like what we're having right now. Right. Okay. Well, that's pretty much all I needed. I appreciate the info. Sure. My pleasure. And, folks, after break, we're going to have uh, phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. Albert Pujols comes to bat. Cardinal slugger Albert Pujols talks with Tom Ackerman Mondays at 9.50. He hits a fly ball that field, and it's gone! Exclusively on the voice of the Cardinals, KMOX. Three one four four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. Over the last couple of weeks, we've had several calls about people, you know, growing tomatoes and and just being really dissatisfied with sort of the potato tomato production as far as actually getting real tomatoes out of it. Uh, our tax dollars at work, the University of Missouri Extension Service. They put out an article on what's, you know, some of the things that impact tomatoes as far as all kinds of different things. It was like nine or ten different things, and I just, you know, picked the one with, four, you know, poor fruits you know, set. And, you know, one of the major factors is high temperatures, especially if it's a, you know, it hinders, you know, fruit set. And that is just if temperatures during the day are above 90, which, of course, they are, and above 70 at night, that usually results in poor flowering and then a reduction of the flower fruit, you know, fruit set in the flowers. Extreme cases, none of the flowers will be pollinated. And so you just end up with, you get the cluster, it could, you know, the flowering could happen, but then nothing happens beyond the flowers. 
So research indicates that nighttime temperature is likely more critical than the daytime temperatures, which I didn't realize that that was a circumstance. The ideal temperature range for tomatoes as far as production and temperatures at night is 59 to 68 degrees. Another important factor beyond temperature, it it can be blamed on poor fruits that is just inadequate nutrients, you know, nutrition. So in other words, fertilizing your plants and keeping them moist is really important to, you know, keep them uh, doing well. And especially if you've got a larger tomato, you're going to have tomato plant. You could have fruit that has already been set and growing on the lower part of the plant. But you you can't get anything to happen on the upper, you know, let's say middle to upper part of the tomato plant. And that's all related to, you know, nutrition and everything else. So there's several different things, you know, to be concerned with when it comes to tomatoes and, the, you know, tomatoes being able to produce something that's going to be worthwhile. So let's head over to Joe's yard now. Hi, Joe. Yeah, good morning, Mike. Good morning. Uh, I'm having a bit of a problem with my holly bushes. I've had uh, had them in the ground here for well over 20 years, and uh, several of them are starting to dry up and look like they're dying. Obviously, there's still some green on there, but their telltale signs look like they're dying. Is it because of the heat or the possibly a disease? Uh, probably not a disease, I wouldn't think, because there's not going to be a disease that really impacts let's say the hollies that adversely. So I would think it's probably age in combination with uh, the heat. That's you know, certainly a factor. Now, uh, are they, where are they planted? Are they close to the foundation of the house? They've been close to the foundation of the house, uh, as I mentioned earlier, well over 20 years right. now. And yeah. there's several of them. I've got about half a dozen of them out here along the border. And, um, I had the uh, lawn service not too long ago uh, for weeds and what have you, and I was wondering if possibly they may have picked up on some of the uh, overspray. Oh, hopefully that's not the case. But, uh, you know, generally, you know, contractors should be very careful about a situation like that. But are you, do you have historically, have you, you know, regularly fertilized them and that type thing and make sure that the yep. soil pH is yep. correct? So you've done everything right. So. To me, it's just a you know a factor of age plus our weather circumstance, and even if you have an irrigation system, it's uh, sometimes just doesn't make that much difference. Hmm. Well, hopefully, I'll be able to get some replacements at some local nursery. But I'm wondering now whether to plant in the same location or not. It's, I would say that it probably, if you had 20 years of success in that location, and it sounds like you're taking care of them properly and everything else, I wouldn't be overly concerned with putting them in the same location. You don't have to, but it, it doesn't sound like it, you know that particular spot is a bad news circumstance for the holly. I got it. I got it. Well, okay, Mike, I appreciate your service. Thank you. Have a good one. Sure. That's my pleasure. Yeah, there's all kinds of stuff that, and broadleaf evergreens, I mean, they, it's a tough world out there for them, meaning here in this region. So whether it's azaleas, rhododendrons, holly, or whatever else, they just, uh, I mean, it's a struggle. Even though you've had 20 years of success, there are still times when it goes, oh. But anyway, good luck with that on, you know, and uh, go to your favorite garden center and, uh 
make sure that some I don't want to say anything against certain places that sell plant material, but certain places are much better than others because they take care of the plants on a you know on a constant basis. So anyway, good luck with that. And uh, Joe, and uh, let's let's see, let's go to. Oh, let's see. One second, we'll find out who's calling. Uh, Jason? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. And let's head over to Jason's yard. Hi, Jason. Hey, good morning, Mike. I have got uh, an animal of some sort. I don't know. It leaves a hole about the size of a golf ball, like a smooth hole, and maybe some hamster-type trails around my lawn that I can see. So any guesses what that, you know, vole, field mice, um, and how do I get rid of them? Basically, it sounds like a vole, and consequently, you're just going to have to get a trap. And uh, go to your favorite garden center and just get, what they'll have is kind of a rat, a big, you know, big rat trap. And then you're going to put something there to entice the vole to the rat trap, and then, you know, then the rat trap will catch it that way. But... What you need to do is just, you know, hopefully you can set them, you know, out where you don't have pets or children or anything else that might trigger it. But uh, consequently, that's exactly what it sounds like. Uh, Okay, Mike. I appreciate it. Thank you. Sure. My pleasure. So if you have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. As we, uh, the gentleman was earlier on talking about the Japanese beetles, just be careful. We always thought the Japanese beetles were only going to do damage to certain plant material. And if you remember last week, I said I saw a Japanese beetle eating my canna, which is a summertime, you know, tropical type bulb tuber, and uh, eating the foliage. It was just like, what? What are you doing here? I guess because there's no roses in our neighborhood, they feel like we're obligated to eat something because we'll die if we don't. So they're eating really kind of strange things. And you can, you know, 
let's say you kind of got a little bit exhausted and you want to plant some new things like zinnias, cosmos, alyssum, pansies, marigolds, cleomies. You can get the seeds in the ground and just take care of them, and then you're going to have a nice fall bloom circumstance with them. Let's head over to Tom's yard. Hi, Tom. Hi. Good morning, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, the, the extension service information about the tomato plants was really interesting, and I'm wondering if the same principles apply to uh, annual flowers. It has been brutal this year <laughs> with our annual flowers. Not necessarily, because we're talking about annual flowers are really just producing flowers. And the tomatoes mm-hmm. can produce flowers, but as far as getting those flowers to be pollinated, that's a different thing to produce tomatoes. So that's basically the difference. And uh, I don't know what kind of annuals you're growing, uh, but uh, it's been a, a little bit of a rough year as far as you know, really constantly needing, you know, I don't want to say constant care, but mm-hmm. I mean just to sort of miss a couple cycles of watering or fertilizing or things like that can send them downhill when we've got this type of heat circumstance. I mean, yeah, almost, we've got we've we've got a lot of annuals in pots all over our yard, and our the front of our house faces west, and we have a big pot on the front porch, and uh, the flowers in that pot look like. Somebody took a blowtorch to parts of them, <laughs> and I and I water pretty consistently and use Miracle Grow. It's just this has just been a brutal year. Right. Um, so I find with gardening in general, watering is the most important and the most difficult part of being successful. Do you have any tips on watering? Uh, basically, you just want to make sure, especially if you're doing growing things in containers. You don't necessarily have to water routinely because sometimes overwatering can be adverse to the plant material. But I found, mm-hmm. f- first of all, I grow a lot of things in pots. I put saucers underneath all my, you know, pretty much all my pots. And I keep, you know, some moisture, some water in those saucers just from a humidity factor. But uh, also I watch the inside of the pots. And then if I start to see the potting mix shrink away from the inside of the pot, then I make sure that I really water thoroughly. I even I've even noticed that along the you know I live in the city, so along the, the section of plant the plantable area between the sidewalk and street, that the soil is actually shrinking away during this high you know, during this heat circumstance away from mm-hmm. the curb, and so that's a real good indicator that uh, you know you should really water thoroughly. Great. Thanks for your help, Mike. I appreciate it. Sure. And it sounds like, you know, with fertilizing and everything else, you're doing that exactly as you should. So Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Definitely sounds like Mike Miller Garden Hotline music. Uh Guess what, folks? If you are growing a lawn and you're mowing it, and guess what? If the clippings are too long, when you look back as you just pass over an area, that could be causing problems. So what I did is this past week, I I cut my grass. I had to miss, you know, I usually cut about every 7 to 10 days depending upon weather and all this other stuff. 
But uh, Tracy and I were doing some other stuff, so I, I skipped or missed a day. So when I did cut the grass, I looked back, and the the clippings, I have a mulching mower, and the clippings were probably an inch to two inches long. So that was too long. So what I did is rather than going back with a bag and you know bagging them up as I go along, I would just double mowed. And that chopped them up and you know made it so they weren't as you know as long as they are. But if the clippings get too long, what that can do is create you know let's say a a, a layer or a barrier, and that could create a humidity problem. And then even for let's say I have zoysia grass, so even humidity with the zoysia can be trouble from the standpoint you could start some fungus situations. So. And the areas that I have killed off broadleaf weeds in my lawn uh, are finally starting to fill in. It's really taken them a little bit longer than what I thought. But uh, battling weeds is just there's no getting around it, whether you're using a broadleaf weed killer or whether you're hand digging or anything else. It's just lots of work. There's, I mean, that's pretty much it. If you are happen to be growing any kind of rhubarb or asparagus, Make sure that you keep up with the weed circumstance, but also fertilize established plant material. That's really very, very important. And with your uh, cool season lawns, just uh, don't do any kind of, you know, let's say fertilizing when it's this hot. You're just going to cause some real problems. But uh, what you want to do is water infrequently, and you want to make sure, and I was talking to one of my neighbors, Tom, who's a fireman with the St. Louis Fire Department, he said uh, you know, a week or so ago, he said, well, it really rained, so there should have been a lot of moisture into the ground. I said, whenever, I, right after it rains, I go out with either a weeding tool or a spade or something like that, and I just push it into the ground, and I see how far down the moisture from a rain or from when I watered went down into the soil. And some of these rains, it looks like, wow, it's really raining hard, yes, but especially if you haven't watered your lawn or your garden or anything like that, and then it rains, let's say, quickly for a short period of time or for however long, a lot of times the water doesn't soak into the ground. It kind of just runs off. So just realize that just because it is raining doesn't necessarily mean that it's really going to be to the advantage of the root system and the plant material regardless of what you're growing, whether it's annuals, whether it's perennials, whether it's trees, shrubs, lawns, or anything else. So always keep that in mind. And with your uh, your zoysas, this is a time of year you should be fertilizing your zoysia. And uh, I do mine. I use, I use a Scott's liquid feed, and uh, that way I can just hook it up to the hose and just, you know, I do every month. I do June, July, and August, so three times a year. And uh, when I do mow, I set my mower at about, uh, I think it's like three and a half inches. So that's what I, you know, one of the things that I really want to do is, you know, keep it from, you know, having a double mow, let's put it that way. And with if you do have annual flowers, like the gentleman who called earlier, uh, fertilizing every two weeks, that's going to be the best for your plant material. And uh, that's really kind of important. And if you've had anything recently planted within the last, let's say, two years, just make sure that you go out there and watch as far as any kind of wilting or any kind of drought stress related to this heat. And especially if it's today, it doesn't look like there's much wind. But some of these days when it's been hot, 
it's been windy as well, and that really dries out the soil and dries out the you know the plant material too. So those are the kind of things to think about. If you do have iris, I I, I keep talking about waiting for you know to do divisions or to do whatever it happens to be with the iris this time of year. You can divide them after they finish blooming. So with the tubers, the classic iris, the flags, they're okay to do this time of year. And you can actually dig up the root system, the tuber, and you don't have to plant it in the ground immediately. You can just kind of store it until you decide where you want to move it to. So that's one of the other things that you need to be you know, thinking about if you do have some iris. The weeds has just been, oh, I mean, they're exhausting. And the warm season weeds, I'll tell you, the spurge is just, I mean, it's just going nuts. You know, cracks in between the sidewalk and everything else in the lawns and how the, you know, how the stuff is being spread around. I keep thinking, well, every year at the end of the year, I've gotten rid of most of the weeds, but uh, I don't use too much herbicide. I do use a little bit, like I said, the brown spots with the broadleaf weeds. But uh, generally, I try to keep it up with uh, just, you know, doing the hand weeding. And this, with the warm season, basically weeds, the annual weeds, there's plenty of weeds, obviously, for sure. But the violets, the goosegrass, the barnyard grass, the crabgrass, uh, carpet weed, there's lamb's quarters, there's purslane. There's just, I mean, the amount of weeds is just unbelievable. And I keep saying this, and you probably say, you don't need to say it again, but my father's philosophy growing up uh you know with uh, out in Ellisville it was just like uh, uh if it's green it's good and uh that's you know it was just too much work and he wasn't really into the you know the world of plants so that's kind of what he was all about and that's fine make sure that your uh, the plant materials if you're let's say deciding you want to plant some new plant materials and with your existing plants that they need the same soil pH. You know, an alkaline soil versus an acidic soil can make a really, you know, tough plant circumstance. Let's say you put azaleas close to clematis. Clematis like an alkaline soil, azaleas like an uh, acidic soil, and in close proximity, that's a tough one to make happen. So if you do have questions or concerns, 314 314- 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after the news. Now at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Thanks, Stuart. And guess what, folks? This is the Garden Hotline Tip of the Trial Hour. I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly, but right now you can give us a call, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. Oh, and by the way, thanks for having me on your show. Remember, if you weren't there, I would not be here. And we can discuss plant selection, cares for, ups and downs for all, all plant material, basically. So in other words, I am full of it when it comes to plant material. Whether it's annuals, whether it's bulbs, whether it's edibles, whether it's ground covers, houseplants, lawns, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. I've been playing in the world of plants since, uh, well, I finished school in California and came back and uh, worked at the Botanical Garden in the late 70s and still playing around in the world of plants. 
Please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take towards success, but strictly offered for you to consider. Across the big board, there's James. He's producing. So if you do call in, he just needs your name, not why you're calling or anything else related to questions or that type of thing. And I do landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. If you want to go have me come to your home and do a walk and talk, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. And that's where my phone number and email address, probably email is a little bit easier than phone number. That phone number tag back and forth and back and forth sometimes is like, (sighs) but anyway, enough of that stuff. Tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me and is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. I know it's really extremely difficult But I certainly, uh, you know, I don't have dogs right now. I've had dogs historically in the past. But all the people that are out there routinely walking their dogs and taking care of their dogs, a tip of the trial goes out to them because I always find it. It's just really entertaining to to look at people, to look at the dog they chose and see, oh, yeah, it looks like this dog is perfect for you. And uh, so all the dog walkers that are very conscientious and because the pavement can be really hot, and you could just imagine, even if you've got paws that are, in theory, acclimated towards warm pavement, you know, or, you know, sidewalks or roads or whatever it happens to be, just uh, you know, be conscious that uh, maybe sometimes it might be a little bit too hot to take your dog out, at least during the day. But even if you go out later at night after the sun's gone down, the pavement's still kind of warm, so... But I greatly appreciate everybody that does walk their dogs. I find the dogs are always really entertaining and a lot of fun. So that is the tip of the trial to all the dog owners that walk their dogs through our neighborhood. It's just uh, we have a great variety of dogs. and some, some of them are just totally crazy nuts, and some of them are really mellow, and some of them are just, uh, oh, well. And it all depends upon age, type, and, you know, how they're being raised and everything else. So. Tip of the trial goes out to all the dog walkers in South City, so I greatly appreciate that. Let's go uh, and try to get a couple calls in, and let's go to Sherry's yard. Hi, Sherry. Hi, Mike. I've really enjoyed the show, first and foremost. I've learned a lot from you. But here's my dilemma. I have a lot of dry fertilizer. What am I supposed to be doing with that, or can I use it in this heat? Uh, What type of fertilizer? Uh, Oh, gosh. It's in a green container. I can't remember what. It's dry, um, the sprinkle kind, the, uh, the shakes. So, um, you, okay, if you do, you, are you, what are you planning on using it on? Are you using it on your lawn? Are you using it on your perennials? Your be, your I want ve- to use it on my vegetable beds. You know, like I have eggplants and okra and tomato plants I did growing. Yeah. And so should I, can I still use it in the tea? Yes, you can, but just make sure you water it in because if you don't water it in, it's not going to hurt the plants if they're healthy anyway. It's just that it won't dissolve as fast. So just, you know, you sprinkle it in according to the rate that's on the label of the fertilizer and then water it in right immediately after you put it down. And that dissolves it and that makes it available for the root, for the feeder roots of the plants to absorb the nutrients. Awesome. And then I also have kale and collard greens that have not grown in. They're in a standstill, and they've been like this for months. Should I just pull them out? Yeah. 
Yeah, so it's just uh, you could go ahead and wait for another couple weeks and then you know plant some you know plant another set of seeds or get some plants and install those and see if they're going to be better producers you know as the weather starts cooling down in the fall. Yeah, because the okra is doing fine and my eggplants are doing fine. Right. My tomatoes. I heard what you said about tomatoes. Right. So, yeah, I understand that. That's why I only have half the amount that I normally would have. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> little by little. Oh, wait, let me ask you. I'm doing tra- strawberries, too, where I'm working the vine to try to create more strawberry plants. Uh, is there anything else I should be doing? Because the mother plants seem like they're dying off, whereas the, the reproductions, they're doing okay, but the mother plants seem like they're dying off from doing it. Is it normal? Generally not. I mean, the mother plants should stay, you know, stay functional and growing and everything else. And then the side shoots that you're, you know, helping root, that should, I mean, that should add to the colony. But uh, I don't know why the mother plants are dying off. Yeah, because they're turning brown and they're just, you know, looking really bad. Ooh, that's not so yeah. good. But, um, yeah, just kind of keep going, you know, the way you're doing. There's not too much you can do. If you're watering them and taking care of the strawberries just in general, that's pretty much it. Yeah, they're producing little tiny, tiny strawberries now, the mother plants are. And do you have, what type of strawberries do you have? Do you have ever-bearing or do you have ones that just produce all at once? Okay, so ever-bearing type. So it sounds like uh, you're doing... This is the third year, though, too. Right. This is the third year having them. So what I've been doing is each year trying to just reap the benefits of those shoots. Right. And grow new plants off of them. So maybe they're a done deal. Yeah. Maybe stop doing that a little bit and see if, uh, you know, for one or two seasons and see what happens. Because you shouldn't really be getting too much production if they've only been in the ground for three years. You know, it's about a five-year time. No, 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 no. They're in a pot. Oh, they're in a pot. Yeah. Oh. Oh, 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 like a strawberry jar or a pot or whatever. So Yeah, you know, those hanging pots that they usually sell at Home Depot and Lowe's? Right. That's what, yeah. That's, I got them three years ago. Okay, so now that makes it a little bit more understandable that the mother one is kind of exhausted and just collapsing. So, so should no, I put it in the ground then this fall? Yeah, and I mean produce, you want to improve the soil and everything else before you plant them. And maybe add some compost topsoil mixture, and that would elevate the bed space of their, where they're going to grow an inch or so above the surrounding ground. That would be to their to their advantage. Oh wow! Thank you so much. Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, you have a wonderful day. You do the very same thing, Mike Miller, K M O S Garden Hotline. Back after these messages. Trusted information, live and local, from the award-winning K M O X Newsroom. Just remember, if you've got uh, annuals that you've been disappointed with, whether they're growing in the pots or in the ground, you can still head out to the garden centers because they have quite a a large variety of annuals. And if you do get some new annuals, basically the second week or so after you do the planting, you can go ahead and do the first fertilizing. So that's, you know, very important to keep them fertilized. Then routinely, every two to three weeks, 
to keep them robust, to keep them growing and everything else. So, But uh, sometimes things kind of like, oh, they don't look as good as what I thought they should. And uh, there's nothing wrong with, you know, let's say tossing them rather than trying to grow them to look better. Let's head over to Roxanne's yard. Hi, Roxanne. Hello? Hi, sorry. Uh, oh. Yes, yeah, sorry. I, I, I have a question. Um, thanks for the show, by the way. We really enjoy it. We'll listen to it every week. Uh, but we have a cherry tree in our yard. And this year, it's kind of late calling you, but this year it started, the fruit came out. It was, you know, green. But before it turned red, it almost went straight to rot. Do you know what could have caused that? Probably weather-related more so than anything else. If you've had success with them and for historically, then it's got to be, you know, because we did have a huge amount of, you know, rainfall early. We keep forgetting because it's been so hot and dry lately that how much water that we got earlier in the year. And so just that, not only just from the fact that, it, you know, moisture, but also when it is, you know, it's raining, that means cloud cover. So that could, you know, have impacted on your cherries. Okay, yeah, we've made cherry jam and pies and everything. It's been a great tree. It took about five or six years to actually bear fruit, but now it's great. But this year it just went from, oh, let's go out. It's probably time to pick the cherries, and they were just, they were, it was all rotten already. Wow, that's too bad. Because if you've yeah. got a standard-sized tree, then it's going to be, you know, five to seven years before you're going to get, you know, good fruit production. If you get a semi-dwarf, it's going to be three to four years or three, let's say let's say four years or so, and then a dwarf is going to be a little bit less than that. So, yeah, I think we had a semi dwarf. Okay, um, but anyways, yeah. Well, thank you. So, can't do anything about that. It's not like end rot on tomatoes. It's not something you have to treat. It's just no. It's not something, something to add to the soil or anything. It's um, my guess again is just it's our nutty weather. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. Sure. It's nice to. To, to know that there isn't something that we could have done about it. As long as um, the foliage looks healthy and everything in the tr- on the tree yeah. looks good, then you're, you should be okay. No, it looks great. So, okay. And the tree's beautiful. It just didn't bear any fruit that we could actually <laughs> eat. So, All right. Well, thank you so much. Sure. We appreciate your show. My, uh, All right. Well, thanks for having me on your show. Let's head over to Cleo's yard. Hi, Cleo. Hi. Hi. <laughs> you know, I planted uh, an elephant ear bulb probably April, May, and it hasn't sprouted yet. I was wondering, is there a foolproof way of knowing how to, which way is up or which way is down when you plant them in a, a container? No, it really doesn't matter all that much. If, you, if you're worried about up and down and all around, well, you can kind of figure, if you look at the, you actually the elephant ear, but you can plant them horizontal and that way you it doesn't make any difference. But if it hasn't you know, started to grow any kind of growth at all, it's not going to do well. I don't. I'm not saying it's rotted, but something's, you know, dysfunctional with it. Because I pl- I put mine in a while ago, and I mean, some of my elephant ears right now are, let's say, almost two feet two feet long and about uh, 15 inches wide. Wow! I usually, you know, just dig them up and replant them, but I bought some new ones. Oh. And it didn't do good at all. Wow. Yeah, if it's not showing any kind of growth by now, it's probably not going to. So just pitch it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You know, pull it out and you can look at it and, you know, Uh see what you think. Because 
I've gotten so many elephant ears. I'm starting to just stick them in, in the sort of the strip between the sidewalk and street and stuff. Now they were they were smaller and you know they were a little bit you know let's say slow as far as emerging, but now they have probably four to six inch size leaves, and uh, so they're really starting to take off. I don't have a twig. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, then. Thanks a lot. I sure. appreciate it. Yeah. Good luck in the future, Cleo. And now let's head over to Gary's yard. Hi, Gary. Hello, Mike. Um, yes, I have cone flyers and uh, my uh, orange ones, I guess you could call them. They're, they're really faded. Well, it looks like they're getting ready to go to sea, but they're really faded. Now, can I prune or deadhead them, and will they reflower, or is that they just flower once a year? Pretty much just once a year. I mean, some of the varieties have an extended bloom period. Some of them are going to be a little bit shorter. But I'll tell you, I have the purple cone flowers, and the gold finches love those things because this is the end, like what you're talking about, the sort of the end of the flowering season, and they're starting to form seeds, and that's one of the favorite seeds of the finches. And, I mean, I can't believe sometimes I go around to the side of the garage where they're planted, and it's like, whoa, there's, you know, I'm not saying it's off a flock of goldfinches, but three or four goldfinches there all at once. And uh, that's, you know, good fun to see. Yeah, that uh, I do have some goldfinches, and I know they're around. I, I don't have no bird feed out, but uh, uh, I guess that's where the goldfinches are going to then. Exactly. That's exactly right. So, I mean, uh, <laughs> so it sounds like uh, – you're, what you're experiencing and what the goldfinches are experiencing, experiencing is exactly what should be happening. Okay, so there's no, I just leave them like that. Right. No sense trim them off first yeah. and join. You can, I mean, uh, you can prune them if you want to, but a lot of times the seeds, if the, let's say the birds don't eat them, if the seeds drop, then you're going to, you know, some of the seeds could germinate next year and you could get more plants as a result of that. I think that's the reason why it keeps getting bigger all the time. Exactly. <laughs> You're right. Thanks, okay, Gary. thank you. Yep. And now let's go over to Don's yard. Hi, Don. Good morning, Mike. Thank you for taking my call. Can you hear me? Yes. Good. Uh, I have a serious problem, I, and I do have two questions. My first problem is I have uh, awful lots of bagworms look like they come every year on my arborvitae trees. I have about 10 on the side of the house. And I'm picking, look like every every other day to try to get them off, you know, picking them off, you right. know. But they look like they come, come and go, come and go. And I like to know, is there some type of treatment that I could put on them now or something to alleviate this so I wouldn't have to take this time to do it every year, you know what I'm saying? Because some of them, one or two of them is just about gone. I'm thinking about just jerking the ones out that look like they're they gone, you know, right. starting from the bottom up. Yeah, Can you, you, you really got I mean, the bagworms are really a vicious situation because – once the bagworm is, let's say, has come out and attached itself to a location, that's the female. The male is a, like a flighted moth or butterfly or whatever you want to call it. Call it. It's a moth. But that bag that hangs there 
for the following year, that's filled with eggs. So that's why if you just miss a few, you could end up with, you know, a whole lot of bagworms again year after year after year. So that's what you're experiencing. Oh, I see. Mm -hmm. And so there's really nothing that can penetrate that bag to kill those eggs. What you'd have to do is just watch in the early spring when the eggs are hatching, they're going to crawl out from the bag that they are in and start forming their own bag before they attach themselves. And when they're in that crawling stage, that's when you have to spray them with an insecticide. I see. Uh-huh. And, and will that stop them from eating the evergreen, you know, the, the uh, arthritis tree so bad? Yeah, I will, but you've got to get them at that crawling stage. Once they're attached, they're... There's nothing you can do. Nothing will penetrate that bag and kill the eggs off that are in there. And when is the best time of year to do that? Well, you've got to watch in the early spring. So it's hard to say what month or, you know, particularly you just when the weather starts warming up, just you, you go out there and just, just start watching for them. They're going to be about, a let's say, a quarter inch or so, and they're going to be crawling along the branches. I see. Okay. Oh. Um, let's see. Uh, now, if I take them out, could I, is it, I like to replace them maybe with uh, uh, a shrub called use that don't have no type of disease or right. something that don't require too much maintenance. Uh, is that a good uh, shrub to put in the place of it? Yeah, the shrubs are, I mean, yews are very tough. Just realize that there's about three or four different varieties. Some are more narrow and some are wider and some are going to be taller. And so just decide which, you know, which particular variety you want to use. But, uh, yeah, they're generally not as, let's say, prone to any kind of insect problems or disease problems as some of the arborvitae have shown to be. All right. Okay. Now, when the best time, to, is it too late to plant elephant ears? I got a customer that wanted to put some elephant ears in tomorrow. No, you can oh. you can get them in the ground, I mean, or in pots and potting mix. And, there's, I mean, it's going to take them a little while, but the soil is going to be really warm, so that should trigger some growth. So, no, there's nothing wrong with planting them right now. Do they require a lot of water? No, and not necessarily. And do they uh, require a lot of sun? No, they can grow in the shade. They can grow. If it's too wet, it's going to rot the bulb. But uh, for the most part, no, they're pretty low care. Let's put it that way. All right, then. Okay, then. Well, my only problem is that is the arthritis cause. Right. Look like I'm going to lose them in in due time as time goes by. I'm going to try to spray this. Quite a bit just coming next spring. Right, but it's got to be, you got to hit those, you know, the crawling stage with your insecticide. So you can't just go out there and routinely spray it if, you know. T Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. (sighs) 
Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. They're not crawling. So thanks, Don. Greatly appreciated. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. KMOX is Cardinals Radio. Tonight, it's the Cards and Reds. Hamron pregame show 445. First pitch 540. Hear the game here on KMOX and streaming on KMOX.com. Back to the phones we go, and let's head over to George's yard. Hi, George. Hi. How are you? Very good. How are you? I'm doing good. Hey, I got a six-foot evergreen, and there's a lot of new growth on it, but I got a section about eight inches by eight inches that's dead. Is there any way for that to come back, or is there any way I can spray to make sure it doesn't expand? Uh, Probably there's. it's not going to come back, no. With evergreens, whether it's a conifer or whether it's a broadleaf evergreen or anything at all, and pretty much anything deciduous, if a section is turned you know, totally brown, then it's a goner. So just go ahead and prune it out. But uh, as far as what actually caused it, who knows? I mean, uh, with a, you know, it could have been something that broke the branch, you know, that, you know, that is brown. It could have been, who knows? I, it's just, it's difficult to guess what caused it. But if the overall shrub looks good, then you, you know, that you're fine. Okay. Thank you. How much does it cost to do a walk and talk? Uh, just, you can go to my website and it'll say, you know, it depends upon where you live and, uh, you know, it's uh, you know I build in the the cost factor as far as transport, you know, getting to your home and everything else. So, just go to my website and it'll tell you how much they are there. Perfect. Thank you, sir, for your time. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's go over to Ron's yard. Hi, Ron. Hi, Mike. Uh, I have some bushes, azaleas, American hollies, and a third kind I don't know. Uh, I trimmed them, and my question is this. Because summer is half over, are these bushes more or less done growing for the year? Oh, yes. You shouldn't have any kind of growth uh, as a result of that. What they should be doing now is basically forming flower buds for next year. So that's, you know, it's the whole process may be not visual, but that's, you know, what should be happening. Okay, 
good. Thank you very much. Sure. And remember to, you know, don't necessarily with those type of plants, fertilize them in the heat of the summertime. But as we come out of summer, early in the fall, you can fertilize them. But watch out about fertilizing any kind of broadleaf evergreen uh, as we go into wintertime because it could cause, the let's say, the process of keep going, even though you're not seeing any kind of visual growth, then you could have some winter kills as a result of that. So just be real careful. Another question. You said now that they're not going to grow anymore this year. Approximately when do they stop growing in the year? Basically, yeah, basically what happens is depending upon what variety it is, let's say they're going to flower. And then when we get into, you know, probably June, any kind of new growth should have, you know, should happen before that. I see. Okay. Well, good. Thank you very much. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's uh, head over to Gloria's yard. Hi, Gloria. How you doing? Good morning. Hi. I'm going to ask you about these knockout roses. I've been fertilizing them with miracle Grow, and they just ain't blooming this year. I don't know if it's cause so hot or what it is. Uh, if if the foliage and everything looks healthy, why they're not blooming, I'm not sure. If you're fertilizing them I and you're doing everything you should, so uh, that's about all you can do. Yeah, I I cut the old. I always cut the old off so it can look better. You know, but right. usually usually they come right back on the second time. And the ones I got on the front, they you don't know, come back. But the heat, heat, is, this hot heat can mess up a lot of my plants. You know, because it's too hot. I water them and don't want to do no good. And then when right. the rain, rain messes your flowers all up. And another question I want to ask you: I got some cameras. And the heat, I, where I had them, the heat burned all the leaves and stuff up. Can I cut those down and they'll come back next year? Uh, it depends. You know, generally the cannas are considered hardy, you know, if they're close to a house or, you know, they're protected. You know, but uh, it just depends upon how severe the winter is going to be, how how deep the ground freezes and how deep they're planted. But uh yeah, you could go ahead and so they they haven't put out any new growth or any growth at all. All the leaves is uh burned up from the heat. Oh, so where I where I had them, I should have put them took them when the heat came. This hundred and where the shade is where my house is. Right. And they they not the big. I got some big ones that I planted last year in my basement. Well, last year in my basement they doing real good. Okay. But I bought two little mini ones from Home Depot. And they're not doing nothing. Okay. I mean, well, they, they did when I bought them, but, you know, the heat. And I warned myself twice a day with this 100 degrees. Right. So it probably just they didn't have enough root system to absorb moisture to prevent them from turning brown. So, yeah. So, uh, Gloria, just good luck with that. And it sounds like uh, you're having success with many things. So, Okay. Let me ask you one more thing. My canvas that I got that I did in the basement when I bought the bugs, I'm trying to see do I have to put those in the ground? They in pots now. No, you can. I grow mine in pots, so I can keep them all year. Just put them somewhere else. Yeah, I basically what I do is you can just cut them off and bring them inside, and just don't water them during the winter time. And what I do is I pull them out of the pots, I shake all the potting mix off, and I just put them in paper bags for the winter. But that's just my own system. Oh, okay. I'll do that then because I'm going to keep those. Right. They like three feet tall. I was going to put them in the ground, but can you put them in the ground? Yeah. And they'll come back. 
do I need to cut them all the way down? Uh, either that or they'll just, you know, get frozen and they'll freeze all the way to, you know, to the top of the surface. So just cut them to the, where the pot is. Right. But if I bring them in and put them in the basement, I don't have to cut them. Right. Exactly. Okay. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Sure. Yeah, you don't have to cut them, but they're not going to look good inside unless you have grow lights. But let's see. Let's get another call in. Uh, let's go to Tom's yard. Hi, Tom. Hi, Mike. Uh, I'm having a little trouble with my impatience starting them from seed. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I've tried different seed medias, and uh, I've put them in light. I've put them out of light. I keep them moist. I put them on a heat pad. I take them off a heat pad. <laughs> I've tried them a variety of ways, and I'm not doing any good, so I need your help. Basically, I would say give up. (laughs) (laughs) Impatience are not exact. Certain things are not easy to grow from seed, and impatience is one of those particular plants. Is it? Yeah. So even though you got, Uh, sounds like you got everything exactly as you need, you got the potting mix for starting plant material, you're taking care of it, and it's just not, you know, give up. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you for your advice. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to be cruel or mean or anything, but uh, certain things are just, real, like I said, just really tough to grow from seed. So, and impatience. How, how do they grow? How do they grow them then commercially? How do they have so much success with them? Well, I mean, they've got a different type of environment. They've got, with the lighting, and even though you're got the bottom heat, you got the light and everything else. It's just a, sort of a different, let's say, a different circumstance. And you can't okay. you it's to as a homeowner to duplicate what a professional greenhouse is going to do is going to be very difficult. Okay, all right. Well, maybe I'm not such a bad gardener after all. Then. No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you. Sure. Let's head over to Marsha's yard. Hi, Marsha. Hi, Mike. Hi. Um, I'm not sure if I have a fungus problem in my yard or in my flower bed. My purple cone flowers, the petals are all turning black, and uh, I noticed my ele- or not my elephant ears, my banana plants. A lot of the new shoots that are coming up, they're turning black. So, have you ever seen petals on the purple cone flowers turn black? Are they? The, you're talking about the petals right at the ground level, the, so the clump. No, well, there are some black on the leaves, but on the petals themselves. Oh, the on the petals of the flowers, I see. Yeah. Yeah, I would say, you know, it's just, you know, it could be a little bit of a fungus problem, but I wouldn't be overly concerned with either one of those. So when you're watering, are you watering above, you know, let's say, what time of day are you watering when you do water? Uh, in the morning, and um, I have, uh, like, soaker hoses. Okay. Well, that's the best thing to do, so you're not getting a lot of moisture on you know, let's say the the petals of the flowers are on the foliage or anything else. So you're doing you know, everything, you know, that you could. So why you're having this circumstance is a little bit difficult to understand. Is there something I can put in the dirt come spring uh, for fungus? No, not really. I mean, okay. not from what, you know, not for the plants. Do you dig up your bananas and take them inside? No, uh, uh, no, I cover them with insulation and... Um, well, I cut them down and then wrap them with insulation and then um, put chicken wire around them and fill it with leaves. Okay. So, I mean, you're doing everything and you've had success with it. So it's just this particular year is, you know, yep. causing the problems. Yep. 
So I didn't know if there was something to put in the dirt. I was reading up on things, you know, and like you got to catch it with a spray early before, you know, the problem starts. Right. And usually, I I mean, the petals on the flowers, that's, you know, that's something that usually doesn't happen. So, again, it's just and you're not overhead watering or anything like that or you're not watering at the wrong time of day. And so why this is happening is just who knows. Okay, well, thank you. Sure, my pleasure. Mike Miller, KMR's Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. <laughs> Let's head over to Diana's yard. Hi, Diana. morning um two things when is the best time to plant to buy and plant a crepe myrtle spring is probably going to be the you know the better time because that's when they're going to be most available at the garden centers not because it is the better time to do it and dividing it uh i would say you're taking a big chance to do any kind of division on any kind of woody plant material you know crepe myrtle that's exactly what it is it's a shrub so uh, to split it apart, you're opening up wounds that may take a while to heal, and you could get some rot inside that. So I would consider not doing that and just getting another one, as opposed to you know trying to move, to try to split one and transplant part of it away from the original area. Okay, and what about uh, elephant ears? Do I need to bring those in in the fall? Uh, they're not tr- truly hardy, you know some. With the cannas and some of the elephant ears, I'm actually going to try to grow some elephant ears along between my house and Pam's house, who's my neighbor, and see what happens because I've never really grown them and left them out over the wintertime because I want to see what happens. But can't, there's a lot of uh, houses in my neighborhood who have left cannas out for several years, and they've come back you know, nicely. So it would just be a roll of the dice to see if they're going to come back for you. And do I wait till there's a frost to dig them up? Or? No, you don't have to wait that long. Uh, I don't like to do that because once they get the frost on it, they get it, you know, the foliage gets kind of mushy. So when it starts, the days start getting shorter and shorter, then I just, uh, you know, kind of routinely go out and, you know, I've got some in pots, some in the ground, and some in different places, and I just start digging them up. Uh, I don't have to wait till let's say, the frost kills the foliage before I do that. Okay, thank you. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's head over to Michael's yard. Hi, Michael. Uh, Good morning. Uh, I have an area about 15 feet by 15 feet that was dug up by a utility company. And it's it's a mess. Uh, They brought up a lot of rock and a lot of clay. And what I'd like to do is prepare the soil properly and go down to a proper depth and then sod it. Um, two questions. What what should I do to prepare it? And secondly, uh, since uh, it's so hot, I would certainly think that uh, I'm not supposed to put sod down now, but can you put sod down in the fall? Fall is ideal time to put sod down. So, yes, definitely you could do it then. As far as soils pre- preparation goes, I'd get rid of a, a bunch of the junk as much as you possibly can to a depth of about uh, – let's say six to eight inches, and then get some topsoil compost mix 
or just some tops of good quality topsoil and mix that in and make sure you blend it in with the existing soil that's going to be still left, you know, after you go down, you know, six or eight inches. All right. Okay. And um, the fall, uh, early fall, put it in and keep it watered, I guess. Yeah, keep it watered. And you're talking about sod, like bluegrass or fescue. You're not talking zoysia, right? No, no, no no zoysia. Okay. So, yeah, fall is a really good time to do it and get the, you know, as soon as it kind of cools down a little bit, where you can get out there and get the soil prepared, that way, you know, get it done ahead of time. And that way, if there's any sinking or anything, you can compensate for that and then just put, you know, then put the sod on top of it. All right. That's what I'm going to do. Thank you so much. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's go over to Art's yard. Hi, Art. Yeah, Mike. With your, with your experience and any success, a two-in-one, you dig one hole, and you put different bulbs at different depths, and then have one succeed the other with respect to the passage of time. You, you, you're asking me, like, well, I do that a lot. I plant tulips, let's say, and crocus in the same hole. So the yeah, two at different depths. Yes, the tulips yeah. go down about four to six inches. The crocus go down about two inches. What about fall blooming crocuses? As far as growing them, as far as planting and observing the propagation of the leaves. Yeah, sometimes you get the blooms on the fall crocuses right before you get the leaves. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's kind of happens in the springtime, too. The crocus flowers could come up, and then the foliage could start emerging after that. You know, I hear you talk bulbs and tubers, but you never tell people about the carms. <laughs> well, that's true. It's just corms is something that sounds a little bit a- abstract, but, the, yeah, that's just a different type of bulb as opposed to a tuber or a regular bulb. Well, let me tell you, 10% of organic matter in your lawn will help your doggone soil moisture to be passed on down to the microbes. You're absolutely right. So you're missing out. You got to have more compost. Well, that's why I say after you core aerate, then you put compost down. Right. You got to have that microbe plant food there. Thank you. All right, thanks, Art. And now let's head over to Jones. Hi, Joan. Hi, I live in Glendale, and we have a terrible situation. Um, our fifty to one hundred and fifty-year-old oak trees have what one tree guy said was a virus, and an arborist said it was a fungus. They've been losing clumps of leaves. They die um, off in the tree. And then the clump falls down to the ground. Right. And they're saying that there's nothing that we can do about losing these tens of trees that are in really prominent part of our landscape and shade. They're exactly right. And, you know, to be honest with you, an age factor is, you know, they're – we don't you're not going to see too many trees that are you know older than that it's just that they basically 
they're having these problems just because they're not healthy and vigorous, and this is there's nothing you can do with the older trees. Okay. Um, how long will it last? How well, long will the trees last? It's just a roll. Is it like one season or? No, no, no. It's going to take a while. They're not going to die just all at once. So it's going to be a slow process. So thanks, Joan. Thanks to everybody for calling in. Greatly appreciate it. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline. I will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.